0: Chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Thanks, Dana. Thanks, worship team. Love to sing with you guys. Last week, I asked you to consider something that you spent a significant amount of time uh, preparing for. you remember what that was, what you, what you thought of? This week, I'd like you to consider what single event you have most longed for? I'm, I'm sure there's some connection between the two for many, but they're two separate questions. You can prepare for a long time for something that's hard and difficult, um, but generally you long most for something that's wonderful and awesome. So think for a second, try to at least draw something to mind that you've longed for in a significant way, but something you have especially looked forward to. How did that longing show up in your life? What did it look like? Did it affect your sleep? Did it affect your habits, your daily routine in any way? What did you do differently because of your eagerness for that thing to come to pass? You all need to have something in your mind. Draw draw something to mind. Maybe, Maybe it's different for everyone in this room, but we've all looked forward and hopefully are looking forward to something. Get that thing in your mind. As I mentioned last week, there are two parts to Advent well-participated in. The first is celebrating the first coming of Jesus and all that meant, and Pastor Mike is going to help us understand more of what that meant in the next couple of weeks. The coming of Jesus, the promised Messiah. That was my sermon last week, was the first coming. What it means, Pastor Mike will deal with next week. Second, The second part of a well-spent Advent. And the main point of this sermon this morning is cultivating longing for Jesus' second coming. So again, keep something that you long for, and maybe you've already gotten it, or something you're still longing for, and imagine all the different ways that you have gone after that, or 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 might, or all the different ways you've delighted to have that affect your life. And, and then multiply that by like 100 billion, <laughs> and then we're getting close to what I'm after with this sermon. Here's the goal. To be a bit more specific, my main aim this morning is to encourage you to use Advent as a time to develop Maranatha as the banner, a banner that goes over all your life. Do you know what Maranatha means? It means, it means come, Lord. (laughs) It's a cry that means come, Lord. Come now. We find it in the, in the Bible and, and it's this, it's this idea that we, we long more than anything else in all of everything. For Jesus to come back and put all things as he has promised they will be. So the main thrust of this sermon, the main aim anyway, is to encourage you to use Advent as a time to develop Maranatha as a banner over your entire life, and therein demonstrate the worthiness of God to be praised above all. So to accomplish that, four main truths. Here, here are the four, four truths. Jesus will return. Jesus' return will be glorious. Jesus' return will be both good news and bad news, and we need to understand both. And then lastly, Advent is a special time to press into and apply those truths. So let's pray that God would drive these things into us and then launch them out of us. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it tells clearly that before Jesus came that he would come. You you gave us, you gave your people so many different promises concerning the nature and purpose of the first coming. And then in Jesus' life and suffering and death and resurrection, which we'll hear more about in the coming weeks, you told us so much about why that had to take place and what that means, what that meant, what it still is yet to mean. And on top of all of that, you have told us so plainly in your word that Jesus will return. He will come again and usher in a kind of glory that we have never seen. Help us to long for that. Help us to long for what Jesus accomplished and secured on the cross, coming to full fruition at the return of Jesus. Help us to long for that. All of the promises are already yes in Jesus, but they're not yet fully consummated. They will be, and Jesus' return is that day. Let us long for that, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So the Christmas story, as you know, is the story of Jesus' first coming. Grace, remember this. You know this. We just sang most of this. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin, truly God and truly man. Jesus... Was born without sin and lived a perfect life. You know these things, I think. All of this made him a perfect example and an acceptable sacrifice to the Father for the sins of the world. And being filled entirely with love and glory, he was willing to lay his life down as a substitute sacrifice. He was mocked and beaten, crucified, forsaken by God, and murdered. For three days he remained in the grave, but on the third day, having fully satisfied the wrath of God, having canceled sin's debt, having defeated death, Jesus rose from the dead and revealed his glorified self to many. He then ascended into heaven where he sits even now at the right hand of God, interceding and advocating for those who have received him and all who would receive him. And he sits there waiting to return to judge the living and the dead and to set all things right. Jesus came and he will come again. Once again, learning to understand and long for that is what we're after this morning. And to that end, the sermon is one of the most scripture filled. I don't mean scripture based. of the, all, I hope all of my sermons have been entirely rooted in the scriptures but they haven't all been as filled with scriptural text as this one is. It's one of the most scripture-filled sermons I've given in a while. I mean to share with you verse after verse concerning Jesus' second coming. First, though, I want to read our denomination's doctrinal statement on the return of Jesus. It's really good. We believe in the personal, bodily, and glorious return of our Lord Jesus Christ, the coming of Christ at a time known only to God demands constant expectancy and, as our blessed hope, motivates the believer to godly living, sacrificial service, and energetic mission. You would do well to read more on that. I can, I can give you the, our denomination's explanation of all of that if you would like. It's an excellent statement. I'm not going to address every clause in that statement, but it's a great summary, both of the Bible's basic teaching on Jesus' return and much of the heart of what I'm covering in this sermon. He will return, it will be glorious, it will be very good news for many and very bad news for the rest, and it demands a response, and Advent helps us with all of that. So as we consider the second coming of Jesus during Advent as a means for increasing our longing for his return, let's begin with the simple fact that God's word promises over and over and over that he will. Beginning with the words of Jesus himself, he promised that he would return, Matthew 24, you must also, or you also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Similarly, we read his words in John's Gospel, John fourteen three. I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. In our text for this morning, which Dana read just a few minutes ago, and w- which we'll come back to with each of the points of the sermon, the Apostle Paul promised the Lord Himself will descend from heaven. The author of the Hebrews declared, Christ having having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Again, our, our denomination scripture filled explanation of this great reality bears hearing. Listen, listen to these words. Our citizenship is in heaven, Paul writes, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, Philippians 3.20. Peter also speaks of the day when Jesus Christ will be revealed. And when the chief shepherd appears, James urges patience until the Lord's coming. In his first epistle, John instructs, And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. And with the encouragement that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And the revelation of John is centered on this glorious reality as Jesus declares, Look, I am coming soon. Grace, the Christian church, has always understood the New Testament to teach that Jesus has come and will come again. Our great hope has always been that he came to rescue us from our sin and that he will come again to set all things right. We do not know when that will happen, but we do know it will happen in the Lord's perfect timing. Celebrating and anticipating these two comings are at the heart of Advent, which we're in now. That's the first truth. Here's the second. God's people greatly misjudged the nature of Jesus' first coming. That's why many missed it. They expected it to be something that it wasn't. Well, for that reason, we ought to be humble as we consider the specifics of his second coming. But being humble concerning the details does not mean that we are entirely ignorant of what it will be like And if anything is clear in all of the Bible concerning Jesus' second coming, is that it will be glorious beyond anything we've ever seen. Perhaps no passage captures this as simply and straightforwardly as Matthew 24, where again Jesus himself says this, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds, of heaven, and here it is, with power and great glory. Jesus will return, and his return will be glorious. Likewise, and back to Matthew twenty five, Jesus straightforwardly declares, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. In Titus two thirteen, Paul describes the heart of the Christian as one waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing and, and here's the key the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. These verses, these simple passages describe that Jesus' return will be glorious. They don't tell us yet, though, a whole lot about the nature of that glory. Well, that's where we pick up a little bit with Paul and or with John in Revelation 1. He got a glimpse of that glory. And as best as he could, he described this glorified Jesus who will return like this as one who was clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. And in his right hand, he held seven stars From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. Again, our passage for this morning describes as well a bit of the nature of the glory of the return of Jesus. the, The kind that Matthew 24 and 25, Titus 2, and Revelation name, Paul unpacks for us a little bit more. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of a trumpet of God and the dead and Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And I love this line, this simple clause. And so we will always be with the Lord. Amen. I don't claim for a minute to have my head or my heart fully around the glory that is to be revealed in Jesus' second coming. But I do claim that it is unmistakable in the the unmistakable and consistent and repeated teaching of God's word that he will come back and it will be an unprecedented glory. Advent is, I hope to help you get more practical in just a few minutes, is about fighting to get our minds to truly understand and believe this and our hearts to truly appreciate and anticipate it. So Jesus will come and he will come in glory. Here's the third truth. All of that leads to the third main point, and that it is that it'll mean different things for different people, the glory of his coming. Ultimately, it will be really, really good news or really, really bad news. The simple fact in nature, this two-faceted, there's only two sides to this. It truly is a dichotomy, is seen in Romans 2. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There's two options and only two options. I imagine they're easy to see. When Jesus comes back, it will either be to inflict wrath and fury in his glory Or give eternal life in his glory. If we live our lives and if we are, if we are to live our lives and participate in Advent as God means us to, it's important we understand both of these paths. Here's the first one: the default path, the one that we are all on by default. As uncomfortable as it is to consider this harsh reality, especially in light of how sentimental and impotent. Christmas has become in our culture, the second coming of Jesus will mark the beginning of the just eternal conscious torment for countless billions of people. I don't like to say that. I don't like to hear that. But listen to the words of Jesus again. He says that to those who do not love as he loves, who do not have his love and give his love, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devils and his angels. Likewise Jesus himself says a few verses later, these, those who do not love as I love and have my love upon them, these will go away into eternal punishment. In Mark 9:42, Jesus describes the fate of those who do not repent of their sin and trust in him as being sent when he returns to a place of unquenchable fire, hell and where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. More disturbingly still, in Second Thessalonians 1, we read, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. And perhaps most disturbing of all, To the one who rejects God as God. Revelation 14 says he will also drink the wine of God's wrath poured full strength into the cup of his anger and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever and they have no rest day or night. It's not generally what you come to an Advent service to hear. But the second coming of Jesus is, this, is the coming of this. There are many more passages that, passages that speak to the eternal destruction that awaits all who do not hope in Jesus. But this is hard enough to stomach. The simple fact is that this is the nature of the death that we all deserve on account of our sin. It's sort of easy to say the wages of sin is death until you understand the nature of the death that sin pays out. This is what God meant on the first pages of Genesis when he said, if you eat of this, you will surely die. This is what Paul meant when he declared the wages of sin is death. Ignoring this or watering it down might make things more palatable, tolerable, but it does not help anyone. And it certainly does not help us to see the worthiness of God or the need for tools like Advent to seek it and love it and proclaim it to the ends of the earth. you got to get this, Grace. I've got to get this. Advent does not even make sense if this isn't the death we deserve, if this isn't the wrath that Christ died to rescue us from. It doesn't even make sense apart from this particular understanding of the eternal destruction that awaits. The two comings of Jesus are not good news at all. They're interesting, kind of kind of kind of a big deal I suppose, but they're not good news at all until we come to grips with the fact that they are about accomplishing and completing the salvation of God from this exact terrible destruction. It is uncomfortable to hear these things, but it is also necessary if we are to receive the grace of God in his coming and in his return. Advent is one way, one time where it is good and right to dig into these things and, and hold on to them. The return of Jesus will be either glorious, a glorious blessing beyond measure, or glory that shows up more terrible than we could ever imagine. Eternal destruction is one of the two paths that all people living and dead, will take when Jesus returns. But there's another path. Praise be to God. The other path, and the only other path, there is not a third way, is that of eternal reward. The Bible is clear on the reality and nature of the eternal destruction that awaits those who do not hope in God, but it is equally clear on the reality and nature of all who trust in Jesus. Upon his return, to those who to those who in faith love as Jesus loves, Jesus will say, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. In Hebrews we read, Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save finally and fully, to glorify those who eagerly, who are eagerly waiting for him. Our text for this morning states simply, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, the voice of an archangel, you've heard this, and the, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air again. Hear these words. And so we will be always with the Lord. Peter describes the eternal reward which will be distributed at Christ's return. Hear this grace. This is what Advent is about, is cultivating a longing for this above all earthly things. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To what? To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. When is the last time? It is at the time of the return of Jesus Christ. Every bit as horrible as it will be for one group of people, it will be great for the rest. Perhaps the most familiar and beautiful of all. Back to Revelation. We read of the destination of those who walk the path of faith. Behold, the dwelling place of God. We we saw in our passage for this morning, and so we will always be with the Lord. What does that mean? Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away for all whose hope is in Jesus. How terrible is the wrath of God. How awesome is his blessing. Jesus' second coming will be either very, very bad news or very, very good news. And the question again before us that all of this forces upon us is how to know which one will be for us. Which one will we receive? Many have stumbled by believing that the good news is for those who do enough good things or at least avoid enough bad things. Many have stumbled by believing that the good news is for those who are in some way able to earn God's favor. Still others have stumbled by believing they've already been so bad that Jesus' return can only mean bad news for them. But Grace, hear this afresh. (laughs) Hear this again. The good news of the Christian faith is simply this. With, with all the horrors that I described of the eternal conscious torment of those who reject God in mind, but also the eternal blessings of all those who hope in God in mind, hear these words. It is by grace, undeserved favor, that you have been saved through faith. Faith is the conduit to receive the gift of God. And this is not of your own doing. You cannot do this on your own, and neither can I. It is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, the salvation, the grace, the faith. They are the gift from God, not as a result of work, so that no one but Christ alone can boast. Wrath and fury will be for all who refuse to acknowledge God as God, sin as sin, and death as just. Eternal life will be reserved for those who believe that Jesus is who God's word says he is, and that he did what God's word says he did and does what he says he does and will do forever what he has said he will do. Advent, once again, is the great reminder of these promises in a time to make war to believe them with all that we have. All right, here's the last last truth. Advent is a time to apply all of this to learn to live this out. So what does all this have to do with the way we actually approach these four weeks between uh, before Christmas? Once again, it's an intentional time on the church calendar that we set aside to focus on and apply these things to our lives. In particular, I want to close by giving you three things, and they all rhyme, which is pretty awesome because that never works for me. I wanted to spell something like glad or happy or whatever, joyful, but it, but they rhyme at least. So here they are. Advent is a time to, to meditate, cultivate, and demonstrate. Pretty cool, right? Meditate, <laughs> cultivate, and demonstrate. So what do we meditate on? To celebrate Advent well includes a time of meditating on the passages in God's Word that speak to the coming two comings of Jesus, his first and his second. Take time to thoroughly and prayerfully consider these things. What's the difference between just general musing <laughs> or basic thoughtfulness and meditation meditation presses in harder it it refuses to stay on the surface it goes in deeper let, let me let me just give you a, a really quick example you you if you've been at grace for any length of time you've heard the 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 idea that god is infinitely glorious and you say that and it makes rational sense it it's easy to say it it's it's not hard to get your head around the, the overall concept of it, but just think about that for a second. Don't just sort of accept it on the surface, but the idea of there being a being who is infinitely glorious, who has all glory that never ends, is a pretty staggering thing. And to press into that, to think, well, if if that's true, or because that's true, there is no aspect of my life that goes untouched, so what would it look like if I believed that when it when it came to waking up in the morning? What would I do different if I believed as fully as I ought that there is a God who is infinitely glorious? What would I do different when I woke up what would i how would I eat different? How would I listen to music different? How would i to meditate is to take something that is true and contemplate it and press, press down and around and all over it, trying to find its edges and its implications in every possible way. So, so with that Advent is a time to meditate. And so I, here's, here's what I really encourage you to do is pull up this. Uh, Josh will have, he, he, Josh, and if you don't know, Josh Lewis faithfully serves all of us by putting up the manuscript and the audio and all that week, after week, after week, after week, Every Sunday he gets that up at some point. Go and pull it up later from our website and just I told you it's filled with the verses. Just look them all up use use the verses from the manuscript. I did almost all the work for you that's one way you could meditate on these things is just get God's word in front of you. the passages that describe his first and second coming, or maybe. Your Bible has a decent concordance, and you can go to the back of it and, and look that up the second coming of Jesus or the return of Jesus. And just go through and look up all the passages that deal with this in order that you might meditate on them. Or here's another gift that God has given to the church get a, a good systematic theology. Now, that sounds fancy. Uh, it sounds intense. And, and it sort of is because most of them are like this thick, but they're not. The good ones are not. You just go to the chapter on the back on the return of Jesus, and it'll walk you through all the different passages and how they fit together. You maybe didn't think of using Wayne Grudem's systematic theology as an Advent devotional, but it, it really would be if you used it rightly. But, but the point is this. However, however you gather the passages of Scripture together that deal with the first and second coming of Jesus, do it. However you want to go about it, do it. Get them in front of you and meditate on them. Ask God to help you understand them, to make sense of them. Use your discipleship group, or, or in, instead of texting pictures of puppies or something to each other, text a question. How do you make sense of this passage? How does this impact your, your life? Ask God to help you understand the meaning and the implications. If, 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 if I really believe this, how would I live differently? How would I think differently? How would I feel differently? What would I do now that I'm not doing? What would I stop doing that I am doing? Give careful, prayerful thought to the promises of Jesus coming, the Holy Spirit's conception of Jesus and Mary, the virgin birth. Press into these. If if these things are true, this is not a normal holiday. This isn't like Thanksgiving with, you know, pilgrims and natives and Turkey. I mean, it's that's That's not hard to get your head around, right? That's kind of neat and simple. This is not that. Virgin births are not, you know, a guy getting lost on the way to India. Think about this. This is not a normal holiday. The Holy Spirit's conception, the virgin birth, all that Jesus modeled and accomplished for sinners. Give careful, prayerful thought to the promises of Jesus' return. The everlasting horror that will mean for every friend and family member and neighbor and stranger who does not receive him in faith. How will that impact the conversations you have with the people who live like 50 feet from you? I always was, not always, occasionally I was rattled in our other house where we would have a house literally 50 feet from our neighbors. And as far as I know, they were not hoping in Jesus. How can I sleep 50 feet from people knowing what I know about the eternal destiny of those who reject God as God and not have it change at least my prayer life. But contemplate this, press into this, the eternal blessings that it will that mean for all those who surrender to the maker of all things. Memorize key passages so you can continue to contemplate them even when the Bible isn't in front of you. Mentally and spiritually press harder on them than usual in order to really consider their meaning and significance. Avoid the tendency which we all have, at least if you grew up anywhere near the church, to gloss over these familiar passages. How many times have you seen a kid's presentation on this stuff? I mean, I've been at Grace since 2007, and I think Dave has led some version of this almost every year since. And it's the same text every time. And every time I think, yeah, I've heard this before. And then every time I think, oh, man, I've heard this before, and I'm still numb to it in ways that don't make sense. So to most fully participate in Advent is to meditate on the passages of Scripture that speak to the first and second coming of Jesus. So having meditated on them, thought deeply, pressed into their meaning and implications, the next thing we need to do is is cultivate. We need to cultivate an appreciation for them. Ask God to make you afraid where you ought to be afraid. To be relieved where you ought to be relieved. Ask him to make you feel hope where there's hope in this story. Love and urgency and courage and freedom and forgiveness where those things are right. Spend your precious Advent time cultivating the right heart and convictions about Jesus' second coming. Above all, above all, cultivate a longing for Jesus to come back. Don't be okay with one more second of him not returning. Trust that God's timing is perfect, but know who he is and all of his glory and all that will mean for you in Christ to the point where if you're looking forward to summer vacation or Christmas break or some present you're hoping to get or the Spartans to want the gophers on Wednesday, if you're hoping for any of those things, if there's any sense of longing for you in any of those things, cultivate a heart for the return of Jesus, which blows all of those things out of the water. Titus 213 describes the Christian life. What does it mean to live as a Christian? One key element of it is waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our our lives rightly lived for the glory of God, our lives of waiting and longing. Cultivate that during Advent. Likewise, in Philippians 3, it reminds us that our citizenship is not on earth, but in heaven. And from it, we await, we long for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in 1 Corinthians 16, after acknowledging the busted nature of the world, there's sin in us and around us, and not one thing right now on earth is as it ought to be. Not one thing. And in, in acknowledging that, the Apostle Paul cries out, Maranatha. That's where we get the, that's where the title of the sermon came from. 1 Corinthians 16.22, Maranatha, our Lord, come. Our hearts, grace. If not continually checked,'ll we'll drift out of tune'll we'll, we'll, you know most of you get kids don't even know what that means to be in tune and out of tune because you just stream the thing. <clears throat> but between televisions and radios, I spent a lot of my childhood doing this or standing there with tinfoil on the the deal, but but the fact is, we need to be tuned to sing the grace of god to to delight in the promises of God. And the world is turning the knob all the time. In fact, it'll pay you to turn the knob. It incentivizes you to turn the knob off of the gospel and onto the things that they can sell you. (laughs) And if we're not careful, we will drift out of tune to the things of God and in tune to the things of this world. Advent is a time to meditate on the reality of Jesus coming and his return and then to cultivate a heart that longs to be with Jesus. It is a time to finely tune our hearts according to the promises and word of God. Lastly, then demonstrate. Meditate, cultivate, and demonstrate. Find ways. You have to be creative. we're, We're offering you some, like I told you last week, within the church, but most of your time isn't in the church and shouldn't be in the church, in this building anyway. Seek out specific ways to demonstrate the mind, heart and conviction God develops in you through your meditation and cultivation. Come up with real ways to repent and obey. Real ways to celebrate and anticipate, real ways to worship and share and declare. For instance, in our passage Paul urges the Thessalonian Christians to respond to the fact that when that Jesus will return, in a really specific way. Did you, did you catch it? It's the very last clause in our passage. He will return. It will be remarkable. It is great news for all who hope in Jesus. Therefore, verse 18, encourage one another with these words. One way then to demonstrate your great hope in the promises of God tied to Jesus' return will be to share them with a struggling brother or sister in Christ. If you know somebody who's struggling, Life is hard. Maybe it's sickness or, or or loss or loneliness or something. But if you know a brother or sister in Christ who's struggling in this life, remind them that Christ will return, and he will set all things right. Wherever you are in your story right now, however dark it is, it's not the end of your story. Light will break through, and we know that because Jesus will return. He is risen from the dead in his waiting to come back in power and glory. That's Paul's point. Demonstrating a longing for Jesus to come back needs to make its way into your music. It really does. Like Just because it's on a Christmas playlist that Google created for you doesn't mean it's appropriate for what Christmas is. It needs to make its way into our music. Our, our music should be both declarative of the truths that we know and believe, but also give us words to celebrate them. It needs to make its way into our food. We eat different food because we're celebrating in a different way in this season. In our spending, the things we buy and don't buy, our calendar, our relationships, our, our decorations, just because it's sentimental. Or because great-grandma Ethel passed it along doesn't mean it belongs in the celebration of the coming and return of Jesus Christ. I love Grandma Ethel. She's awesome. But it doesn't mean whatever she did belongs in this. It needs to affect our traditions and our decorations and our reading and our quiet times. Everything. Rightly understood. Far from being a burden, though. You think, oh, what a party pooper this guy is up there. Far from being a burden though, Advent is a sweet, sweet gift to God's people to consider the great glory that is already ours, but not yet. Here's my conclusion. The main takeaway for all of us is to ask one simple question. Is Maranatha the great cry of your heart? (laughs) Is that the great cry of your heart? When we are content with the things that this world has to offer We will not long for Jesus to come back. It'll be a pleasant-ish idea, often the back of our minds occasionally, but it will not be that which we long for. When our appetites for glory have shrunk so much that this world can satisfy them, we will not long for the return of the King of glory. But when Advent becomes for us the means of grace that we hope for, God will use it to create in us a superior affection for the things of God and that will spill out into everything we do and our cry will be, Maranatha, come, O Lord. Do you know the God of the universe well enough to know that he is worthy of our great longing for his return? If that is already the growing cry of your heart, Advent is a great time to live that out. And if not, Advent is a great time to seek the grace of God, that was accomplished at Jesus' first coming and is yet to be displayed most fully in his return. Look to him today.